glad that you come out this morning to worship with us, and our worship continues as we open up the scriptures to Hebrews chapter 4, and I invite you to do that this morning, hitting an incredibly encouraging, hope-giving portion of scripture that I hope will encourage you even as it's encouraged me all this week. We're working through Hebrews. It's uh, a letter you can see on the slide, maybe, that has the theme as I would understand it, many would agree with, something to the effect that don't go back. Jesus is better. Written to Jewish individuals that have made a profession of faith in Christ, and yet, for many different reasons, are thinking maybe Jesus isn't worth it, and the hassles of being different than your family, different than your friends, uh, hitting small groups of individuals rather than worshiping at the big temple. Uh, maybe we should just go back. And this is a letter that says, don't go back because Jesus is better. Just to begin, you know, I like to begin with illustrations just to kind of direct our minds in a, in a certain way. Uh, many of you know I'm a college football fan. It's my favorite sport. And this year's been an interesting year uh, I have two teams, both struggled. Ohio State did fairly well. Uh, they lost to their big rival second year in a row to Michigan, so that was discouraging. And yet things worked out that they were the number four team, so they kind of snuck in the back door of the playoffs, which means they have to play the best team that some would say has been the best team for a very long time in Georgia. And even on television, people talked about the fact that it won't be much of a game. There's no way Ohio State will even stay in it because Georgia's just so dominant. And I kind of anticipated that. And I watched the game, and the first quarter, Ohio State actually outplayed Georgia. And it's like, what? In the second quarter, it was close. But the second quarter, same thing. Third quarter, same thing. Beginning of the fourth quarter, still pretty much the same thing. And it's like, wow, I mean, how could this even happen? Well, the game gets very close and things happen. Georgia's up by one. There's maybe, I don't remember, a minute, two left. Ohio State just marches down the field. Shouldn't be a problem. They're down by one, kick a field goal. They win. They have one of the country's best field goal kickers. He kicks the ball. It has the distance, but he goes wide and they lose. And if you were to watch most of that game, you would say, two good teams. And, if, you know, we went into the game thinking, Ohio State just can't hang with Georgia. They're just too good. But this day, most of the game, the sports announcers were even surprised. Ohio State seemed to be even or slightly better. But not at the end. They came short. And they lost because the field goal went wide. Now, you say, why would you begin a sermon with that illustration? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear. If while the promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. There's a promise of rest, and that's for anyone who puts faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But be careful. You say, Greg, should I fear I might miss it? Well, I mean, the answer is obviously yes. Read Hebrews 4.1. Let us fear. And we should be fearful that we would perhaps come short of entering 
God's rest. The text goes on to say in verse 5, for we who have believed enter that rest. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you come to the end of your life, here you are, with faiths in Jesus, you would enter that rest. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You say, who does that? Those who don't believe. You say, why do some people not enter? Because of unbelief. So what's the choice? It's between wrath and rest. I actually had someone tell me, and I appreciate the feedback, at one of the shepherd group meetings, there was a discussion. What actually is the rest? And there was some uncertainty, and that's to be expected because in this text there's never a clear definition of rest. But it's very clear that those who believe in Jesus enter the rest, and those who don't believe in Jesus don't enter that rest. So we have a pretty good idea of what it means. We get to Hebrews 4 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And again, we try to take that verse and then argue we should keep, you know, every Saturday, which is the Sabbath, we should observe it, what would be absolutely to take the test out of take the text out of context. Or to suggest that, well, we don't really observe the Sabbath anymore, but we should take the principles of the Sabbath and then push them a day later and then observe them on the first day of the week on Sunday. Again, the text isn't talking about that at all. It's talking about, do you believe in Jesus? And are you one of those Hebrew believers that's going to go back and say, no, no more Jesus for me? Or are you going to be one of the people of God who are looking forward to that Sabbath rest. So obviously, again, rest has to do with believing in Jesus and fellowshipping with him for all eternity. Verse 11 of Hebrews 4 puts it this way, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall following, through following the same example of disobedience. So it's something that a true believer would be diligent to enter. Obviously, they haven't entered it yet. So there's something future, it's called rest. I would just call it fellowship with God through Christ in heaven forever. That's the rest, even though it's not specifically defined. So how do you know? How do you know if this is what you're going to enter, if this is what you're going to experience? And we had a message last week on the next two verses, incredible verses. Verse 12 of Hebrews 4, this is all review from last week, this message posted online. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is divine, alive, powerful, cutting. God's word is like an incredibly sharp, sharper than a two-edged dagger, and it pierces deep inside us. What does it do? Look at the end of 12. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, am I a true follower of Jesus Christ? You can't see inside me. You can watch me. You can come to conclusions. You can hear what I confess. But you can't see. You can't even see in your own heart. But God's word can go deep within us and judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And where does that leave us? With verse 13, there's no creature hidden from the sight, but all things are open, laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
So none of us can hide from God. You can fool me, I can fool you. But we are not hidden before God. What are we? Open, that's remember the word naked. We are naked and defenseless. Lay bare means you have me by the neck and I can't do anything. That's how we are. We are naked, we are defenseless, and we are accountable to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And there we are. And that's kind of a difficult place to be. Lord, I'm accountable to you. You know everything about me. You know all of my sin. And I'm here wondering, do I really believe the gospel? And maybe it's not worth it. And maybe I should go back. You say, Greg, what do we need? We need something encouraging. As Luther put it, having had this incredible bad news, this, these challenging texts, let me turn a page here and get to his quote. After terrifying us, God now comforts us. After pouring wine into our wound, he now pours in oil. Right? The antiseptic qualities of wine in a wound clean it up. Boy, it hurts. And reading God's word sometimes is like that. It cuts us deep and it hurts. You say, then what do I need? I need someone different than me. I need someone better than you. I need a priest who can help me where I need help the most. And praise God, we have that priest. He's our great high priest, and his name is Jesus. And this is our message. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It's all about our great high priest. I read again from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's just start there. What we're going to do this morning is we are going to think about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, remember it told us to do this. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Focus on the apostle and the high priest of our confession. You say, what should we think about Jesus? Let's just follow the text, and we'll see three things, right? Number one, Jesus went before us. You see that in verse 14? I think a lot of people think deeply about the priesthood of Jesus. Because we, you know, we're not mostly from Jewish backgrounds. Most of you aren't from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And we just don't think a lot about this idea of a priest. But Jesus, according to this text, is a great high priest. You say, why is that a big deal? Well, let's just kind of review a little bit. What's a priest? A priest is someone who helps me. Because, see, I'm a sinner, and I don't have access to God. So a priest comes, and kind of like a mediator, he helps me by offering a sacrifice for me. And the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of priests offering all kinds of sacrifices, right? Some in the morning, some in the evening, some in special holidays or whatever. And not only did they do that, there was a 
very special priest, the high priest. And he would, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, offer an extra special sacrifice. And here he is, actually, on the Day of Atonement, going into the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, only once a year. But Jesus is better than that. Jesus is our great high priest. Because Jesus did something that no Old Testament priest ever did. Hebrews 2.17, we've read this already. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, right? A priest has to be from among the people he represents. So that he, Jesus, might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that's exactly what he did. He satisfied the wrath of the Father against me. He paid the price of my sin. There's no wrath left for me, right? That's one of the songs we sing. Because Christ, our great high priest, has made propitiation for the sins of his people. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. But notice what else the text says. It says, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. You say, what's that about? Jesus ascended into heaven. See, the Old Testament high priest, once a year, he kind of goes way back into the Holy of Holies, and he does his very special work, and then he comes out. And he does it year after year, whatever. Jesus didn't do that. The form of this word ascended is the idea of he is now permanently in the presence of God. He is now in the very throne room doing his priestly work. That's the ascension. See, a lot of times, you know, we emphasize in the gospel, and this is good to emphasize, that Jesus Christ is God, good, that he never sinned, awesome, that he died on the cross, praise the Lord, and rose again from the dead. That is great. But let's not miss this point. He ascended into heaven. The text puts it this way, he passed through the heavens. In fact, the NIV actually translates it with that in mind, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus is right now today in the throne room, as we would say, in the presence of God. And he is performing high priestly function for his people. The text says it this way in Hebrews 9.24, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Does it ever occur to you that Jesus is actually doing something for you right now today, if you're a believer? Right now, today, he's appearing in the presence of God for us, every one of us who actually is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. That's the high priest we have. That's our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might have questions going on in your mind because, again, we don't think about priests all that much. You say, Greg, why do we need a priest? Because we're sinners. Okay, we're sinners. So I'm a sinner. 
God is holy. How am I going to come? How am I going to approach him? You say, just walk in. Yeah, there's a better chance of me just walking into the White House and seeing President Biden. It's not happening, okay? I would get stopped. They would say, who are you? And, and obviously the, the Secret Service guys and whoever would make sure that they keep the president safe. That's a weak illustration. As a sinner, I can't just come into the presence of God. I need a priest. Who's my priest? The text tells me. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is our priest. You say, okay, what did he do? <coughs> he presented a sacrifice for our sins. And Hebrews is going to talk more about that as we go through Hebrews. But a priest makes a sacrifice for someone who needs to be forgiven but can't do it himself. Jesus, my great high priest, did he do it? Yes. Was it effective? Yes. Do I need a priest today? No. Now remember, these guys were Jewish. And it was a big deal to go to the temple. And there would be priests every morning, every night, doing sacrifice. And that was just how they lived. And that might have made you feel religious, right? Rather than just, you know, hanging out with a bunch of guys doing a little study Bible study praying. You know, why not be at the big temple? I mean, that's where you grew up. And there was a temptation to do that. And it's not necessary. No priest today is necessary. You say, well, Greg, you know, the whole Jewish thing doesn't relate. Okay, so let's take it the next step. Let's talk about Roman Catholic priests. Do we need Roman Catholic priests? No. Is there any need for a Roman Catholic priest? None whatsoever. You say, why in every Catholic church are they doing Mass every single day and they have a priest there? Because they're not understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they don't realize we no longer need a priest. I would argue just if a picture helps. Every time in a Roman Catholic setting, there's a priest who is offering up a sacrifice, it's an unbloody sacrifice, but check it out, Google it, every Mass is an unbloody sacrifice. Jesus dies at every Mass. And that priest is trying to help people to get right with God. You say, why? Because what Jesus did wasn't enough. You say, but it was enough. Then that guy is not needed. He's not only not needed, what he's doing is wrong. And if you believe in Jesus, you need to know that. Because we have people today, right, in, in our culture of, you know, can't we just accept everyone and get along? Yeah, you know, I grew up in a gospel preaching church. Yeah, I'm marrying a Roman Catholic, but it's really a big deal. I mean, we kind of are all Christians, aren't we? And the answer would be no. The answer would clearly be no. You say, that's not something you can say today. I realize many would consider it impolite, but it's true. You need to understand who Jesus is and what he did. And when people don't understand that he's our great high priest, 
than whether you're Jewish back in the day looking for another priest or whether you're Roman Catholic today, you end up being involved in a type of worship that actually dishonors the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, Greg, what qualified Jesus to be so awesome that he could be our great high priest? Let's talk about it. Number two, Jesus is qualified to help us. So number one, Jesus went before us. He ascended into heaven. He's there right now. It's not like he just popped in and came out like they did back in the Old Testament Israel times. Jesus went before us, and Jesus is able, qualified to help us. Notice verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. It's just review, very simple. Jesus, what does that mean? That's his human name. Jesus is a man. Jesus is fully man. You know, back in the day, a long time ago, I can remember I'd go to undergrad students, not seminary students, and I would ask them, true or false, is Jesus Christ fully man? The majority would say false. And I would say, I don't mean to like ruin your day, but you guys are heretics, okay? <laughs> Because Orthodox Christianity is Jesus is fully man. To say anything else would be heresy. Now, maybe it's better to say they were unknowing heretics or something like that. I don't know. And we left and said, okay, it was fine. And then I tried to help them to be less heretical. Jesus is fully man. Guys, if you're going to be a priest, you have to represent your people. So, it's, it's, and, and we're going to learn more about that in the next chapter. So to be a priest, you have to represent those whom you're sacrificing for. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was fully man. Didn't we read about this back in chapter 2, guys, verse 17? He had to be made like his brethren in all things. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus became a man like his brethren in all things. That's what Jesus did. And Lord willing, starting next week, we'll be hitting chapter 5, but let me just give you verse 1. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So where does the priest come from? The high priest. He's taken from among men. You have to come from the people group that you're representing. That's Jesus. You say, so is Jesus fully a man? Yes, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So if you're going to be a faithful high priest, if you are going to be a great high priest, and you're going to make a sacrifice for the sins of a group of people like us, First, you've got to become like us, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus is fully man. Notice the text, verse 14. Jesus, it's his human name. But what immediately comes next? The Son of God. So Jesus is not only fully man, Jesus is fully God. And you might be thinking, I'm guessing that's what my students used to struggle with. 
In their minds, they were thinking, if I said true, Jesus is fully man, then I'm maybe suggesting he's not fully God. That would not be the case. Jesus is fully man, and Jesus is fully God. See, this, and, and, and you know, theologians talk about that. They talk about a hypostatic union. But, but the key is this. He's fully man, and he's fully God, and he's one person. And his name is Jesus. Okay? The God-man, sometimes we say it that way. And what does he do? So he's like us, so he can be our priest. You say, well, Greg, why don't you just grab somebody like here and be your priest? Because no one qualifies. Guys, I can't even deal with my sin, let alone dealing with your sin. Right? If you came up to me and say, could you forgive my sin? I'm like, I can't even forgive my own sin, okay? How in the world am I going to forgive your sin? The priest has to be from among us, but the priest has to be someone who never sinned. The priest has to be God in the flesh. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus being the Son of God is God. Let me see if I can make that clear here from John 5.18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, okay, that was one issue they had, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now look at your Hebrew steps. We have the great high priest who's passed through the heavens, who? Jesus, fully God, excuse me, fully man, secondly, the Son of God. And there are people who will falsely say to you, aha, he's the son of God, he's not God. But in reality, to claim that you are the son of God is to claim that you are God, which is one of the key reasons the Jews tried to kill him and eventually succeeded. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father. He was identifying as the son of God, making himself equal with God, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. So Jesus, fully God, Jesus, fully man, both. He's of us, he's fully man, but he's more than us, he's fully God. We'll get to Hebrews chapter 7 in time, but here's just kind of a sneak peek in verse 26 and 27. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, notice, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. See, all those Old Testament right priests, I mean, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Guys, if you have to do something every single day, newsflash, it didn't work, right? It didn't work. I was out in my yard, and, you know, weeds were starting to pop up, and I got some, uh, like, weed killer spray, and I walked around and sprayed the weeds. It rained shortly thereafter. And guess what? The weeds looked as healthy as ever, okay? <laughs> you say, what happened? It didn't work. That's why priests are still offering the same sacrifice. It didn't work. It's not true of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He did once for all 
when he offered up himself. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. So Jesus Christ, he's our great high priest. What does that mean? He is a priest who is fully man. He is a priest who's fully God. No one qualified except one, and his name is Jesus. You say, Greg, so why are all these people still going like to the Catholic Church? And again, in the day, it would have been going back to the Jewish temple. But today we would ask, why are so many people going to the Catholic Church today? They don't know their Bibles. More importantly, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Now, careful, I'm not saying there's no such thing as a true believer who goes there, because there are people who believe contrary to what they're being taught. But if they believed what they were being taught, they would be people who don't know Jesus, because being fully man is not enough. Guys, there's no priest good enough in this world to get you to heaven. None. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand that. I was raised Catholic. So I was taught to have, like, great reverence for priests. You know, Nancy and I both went to Catholic schools. Uh, the priest would visit our classroom. Uh, he would hand out a report card. So on report card day, the nun would say, you know, Father so-and-so is coming in. And, and he would walk in the room. And I still remember this. We all would stand up together. We'd stand up. Good morning, Father V. And that's what we would say. And then we would wait until the priest got to the front. And he would say, okay, boys and girls, please be seated. And, you know, we kind of were like on our best behavior. Because that guy's a priest. I mean, he gets me to God. Then I got a little older, and I became an altar boy. And I won't use names, I'm going to call him Father H. I'm going to use the first letter of his last name. He was just a mean guy. He, he, he was a mean man. Uh, later, he was mean already, then he had some kind of health problems. He had a leg amputated, and he became even more mean. And, you know, even though I'm in like fourth, fifth grade, I'm still thinking he's a priest, he's special. And then one day he just lost his cool and yelled at me. I mean, yelled at me big time. And you might say, come on, Greg, get over it, be a man. <laughs> I, I, I'm not complaining. My football coach yelled at me all the time. I didn't care. But this guy's a priest. And I thought to myself, like, he's supposed to get me to God. And I can still remember thinking, I don't think he's any closer to God than I am. And you know, you're a kid and you're wrestling with these thoughts. And then I get into high school and there's Father V. And you say, what's up with Father V? Well, I'm friends with the guy. And he says, hey, has Father V ever like done anything to you? Well, I mean, he seems a little overly friendly. He says, yeah, but has he ever approached you in a way that is clearly wrong for a man to approach a man. And I said, no. He said, well, he has me. And I want to be careful. I'm not suggesting every priest is like that. But I remember being in high school, and now it's being confirmed. This guy's just a guy. He's just a guy. Some maybe have more problems, some have less problems, but how is a guy like that 
going to get me to God. And it was pretty clear it's not happening. Because how can a guy who's just a man be my priest? And I think that was just God working in my life. God getting me ready to receive the true gospel, which would still be a few years down the road. God, I'm not saying I hate every priest, but to me, a priest, I look at the priest like I look at the UPS guy, right? You know, that's what you do, that's fine. But, but don't tell me the stuff about helping people get to God because you need it just as much as I need it. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just saying we all need someone better. And I know who he is. His name is Jesus. And he's the son of God. And he is our great high priest. You say, but Greg, does he care? Does he really care? Because maybe he's qualified, number two, right? But does he care? I mean, he ascended into heaven. Great. Everything he did is accepted. Great. He's there on my behalf today. Awesome. And he qualifies. But does he care? And that's our third point. You better believe that he cares. Number three, Jesus cares about us. Notice what comes next here in the text. It says, I'll start reading in verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not, it's going to be like a double negative, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You say, what does that mean? He can sympathize with our weaknesses. You say, why don't they just say it that way? Probably because some people were saying, Jesus doesn't care. And the author's making it clear, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Don't believe that. Some people are saying, yeah, Jesus, pie in the sky, I don't buy it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, wait a second, that's not the kind of high priest we have. But we have a high priest who can, verse 15, sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understands us. He cares about us. You say, hi, how? Notice the text. We do not have, verse 15, a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, meaning he can't sympathize. What kind of weaknesses are we talking about? Well, in the context, just finish up verse 15, but one has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So we're talking about more than sore knees and hurt shoulders, even though that can be a hassle. We're talking about spiritual weaknesses, and it says here that Jesus can sympathize because he is one who's been tempted in all things as we are. Jesus became a man. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. These are things that Jesus understands. Now let me go through this carefully if I can. One who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The ESV translates in all things as in every 
respect. It's actually kind of a, a hard section to translate. If you have a NASB, one of the things I like about the NASB is when it adds words, it puts them in italics. So my NASB 95 says this, one who's been tempted in all things as, and then they added, we are. The text clearly says he's been tempted according to all, perhaps best translated in all things. The ESV translates it again, in every respect. It is hard to wrap our minds around this because people struggle. Now it's clear at the end, yet without sin. So that's not even on the table. We know that Jesus never sinned. You say, okay, Greg, so could Jesus have sinned? And that, some of you know a little bit of theology. If you go into the commentaries, go into systematic theology, if you enjoy reading theology as I do, I hit this section in the commentaries and I just went and got another drink and thought this is going to be fun because there's many different viewpoints on whether or not Jesus could have sinned. And the more technical way of saying this was Jesus impeccable. I'm going to make just a few comments that I hope will help you. You say, how can you help me? Number one, we know for sure he didn't sin. So that's a definite, he didn't sin. You say, what's the point of the text? I don't even think the point of the text is he didn't sin. That's an add-on at the end of 15. The point of the text is he could sympathize with us because he's been tempted. So this text was not written to answer the question, could Jesus have sinned? You say, but I'm still wondering about it. I'll be frank, you're not going to answer that question from this text. You're going to study the rest of the Bible and come to a conclusion. Have you come to a conclusion? Absolutely. What did you conclude? The right thing. You say, what is it? I'm not telling you. Okay? <laughs> because then you'll be very into, especially if you disagree with me, and you'll forget the main point of the text. Guys, the main point of the text is not could Jesus have sinned. The main point of the text is Jesus gets you. Have you seen that car cartoon thing on TV? That commercial, Jesus gets us or something? Jesus understands us. You say, why? We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are. Now again, you got to be careful. You say, does that mean Jesus is identical to us? No! No! I'm a sinner. I have a sinful, depraved nature. Jesus did not. So be careful. You say, well then, did Jesus experience every temptation you experienced? Never. Never. You say, just give me one. I'll give you one. I sometimes am tempted to get very down and discouraged because I've sinned yet again. Jesus has never been tempted to get discouraged because he sinned again because Jesus never sinned. Are you guys tracking with me? Jesus did not 
faced every identical temptation that I faced. I'm going to go even farther. There are temptations that originate in my sinful flesh. And I lust after things because of my flesh. Jesus never experienced the temptation that was birthed in his sinful flesh. He had no sinful flesh. This text is not saying that Jesus Christ experienced every temptation that you've experienced. That is not the text that could not happen. Okay? And yet the text does say that Jesus Christ cares deeply for his people. That Jesus Christ can sympathize with our weaknesses because Jesus has been tempted, yes, in every respect, yet without sin. And you can nuance that, and there's great discussions. You can read more in systematic theology. Don't miss the main point. Jesus gets me. And Jesus gets you. How about some of you high school guys? Do, do you know what it's like, high schoolers? Everybody's kind of hanging out in a little group, and you're not invited, and you feel rejected because people, whether on purpose or not, just kind of rejected you, and it hurts. You say, Pastor Greg, does Jesus understand that? Yeah. People rejected Jesus. Have you ever had somebody post something about you that is blatantly false because they dislike you so much that they want to hurt you? Whether that was, I won't limit it to posting, but whether that's posting on social media or gossiping about you, and they have lied about you. Jesus gets that. Jesus understands. If you ever had somebody come up to you, maybe at work, and say, you know, I know an easy way to. No one would know. And we could take this. We could cheat the company this way. Everybody does it. Wouldn't you want to also? Jesus knows what it's like. To experience that. Let's keep it in context. There are Hebrew individuals and they're getting hammered because they follow Christ. They leave their families, they leave their friends, they're, they're, they're taking opposition. And now they're wondering is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Jesus knows what it's like to be opposed from his own family members who initially don't believe him. Jesus can sympathize with us. That's the point of the text. He cares about you. And the idea of maybe sitting at home, and, and I think we all struggle with this. No one knows what I'm going through. No one in Trinity, no one in my family, that may or may not be right, guys, I don't know. But one person knows, and his name is Jesus, and he's a great high priest. And he not only sympathizes, but notice the text. 
He goes on to say in verse 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. I'll come back to that in a moment, get to the end. To help in time of need. And Jesus will help you. Jesus does help you. You ever think about what Jesus is doing right now? I don't think most of us do. You say, what's Jesus doing right now, Greg? He's helping me right now. And we're going to learn more about that as we go through Hebrews. Right now, today. Guys, don't think Jesus died on a cross for my sin, and then he sat down, and it's finished, and it's like, Greg, good, I'll see you in heaven. It's better than that. Right now, today, Jesus is extending to me, look at the text, mercy and grace. Here I am sinning. I need mercy. Here I am struggling. I need grace. And here is Jesus, my great high priest, in heaven. He's still there. And he's helping me. And that's absolutely awesome. Why would I walk away from him? Why would I go back? Back then. Why would I go back to being Jewish? You say, but Greg, they got all the whatever. Back then, the smells and the bells, right? They have all the big sacrifice. And they had like priests and pageantry. Yes. And it all pointed to Jesus. And once Jesus comes, you don't want it anymore. You know, have you ever thought about that? Is it good to be Jewish today? No. Because if you're still Jewish today in a religious sense, you missed everything. It all was pointing you to Jesus, our great high priest. And he came. Which is why applying it to the Roman Catholic thing. I've heard people say, I missed the pageantry of the Catholic Church, right? I missed the tall ceilings and the Baroque art and the stained glass windows. And I miss everybody in collars. You know, wouldn't I look holier? I'm not saying it's wrong to preach in a row. But wouldn't I look holier? And I, I know some of you are saying, no, Greg, not you. Okay. But, but you know what I'm trying to say. And then you call me, Father Greg, and I walk around in a row with a big cross around my neck. You know, and you would say, whatever. How'd you, how'd you like the game? But I, I wouldn't talk about that. You know, I would say God bless you, my God. You know, and you would go, oh, that is so cool, you know. This guy just makes me feel holy. And there are people who want, I don't need to be your priest. Because you have someone better. He's Jesus. And he cares about you. He sympathizes with you. He will help you. Here's our conclusion. Jesus is our great high priest. Catch the imperatives. There's two and we're done. First one, hold fast to Jesus. Do you see it in the text, verse 14? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. Persevere in your faith. What's that mean? Keep believing. You say in who? In our great high priest. You say, I'm thinking about going back. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You name it, and I'll tell you, Jesus is better. No matter what you suggest, Jesus is better. You say, I'm going to go to Judaism. Jesus is better. Roman Catholicism, Jesus is better. I'm going to be an atheist. 
Well, read Romans 1, no such thing. You've got to do something else. Okay? You say, I'm going to falsely claim to be an atheist. That's fine. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Hold fast. Don't abandon him. Embrace him. This is what the text said. Hold fast to Jesus. And even this week, I was asked a very respectful question, by the way, repeated question. So, Greg, do you believe you can lose your salvation? And I said, well, let me answer that with a better question. Do you believe you can get to heaven without Jesus? And the guy explained to me, but like, what if you your whole life say you believe in Jesus and maybe the last 10 years you say, I don't want Jesus anymore. I said, I'm just asking you, does that guy go to heaven? Because if he does, you can go to heaven without Jesus. He's optional. I don't believe he's optional, guys. Hold fast your profession of faith in Jesus. And I believe by God's grace, if you truly are a believer, you will continue to believe. Not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. And he'll continue to work in your life. Number two, draw near through Jesus. Just quickly, a few things to encourage you. Let us draw near. Isn't it great? Draw near to the throne of grace. Guys, this is so hard because we don't have kings. We don't think about thrones. No one wants to go to the throne. Do you remember what it's like? Now, some of you don't, but some of you relate. Do you know what it's like to go see the principal? You know what I mean? May that go see the principal. Here we go again. And I go see the principal, Sister Laura Marie. Greg, what did you do this time? And, and it's a hassle, right? Now, sometimes I've done things that were very wrong. Sometimes I was falsely accused, seriously. There are times I did nothing, and I was falsely accused. And you say, well, that's because you were bad most of the time, and you deserved it anyway. Well, that's what my mom said, but it's still not fair. <laughs> it's still not fair. I don't want to go to the principal. I don't want to go to the throne. This says, come on, draw near. Guys, in the Old Testament, you couldn't do that. Go into the Holy of Holies, you would die. And you know what? Hebrews says, come on, come on in. Come on in, right to the throne of God. You have access. In fact, it says, don't only draw near. It says, with confidence. Now, I want to be careful. I don't think that means with a overly bold flippancy, with respect. But come on in. You say, but God's on the throne. And Jesus is my great high priest. And he said, come on, Greg. And I'm like, How? And he says, well, through me, because I've already passed through the heavens, right? I'm your great priest. And I have satisfied the wrath of God against you, Greg. Come on. You are welcome. And it's like, are you sure? And he's like, yes. And we come in to the throne of God. And, and you know how it is in the Old Testament times and in other er eras as well. If you're not allowed to walk in unless you're invited by the king. He's supposed to invite you. And Jesus says, come on in. And that's present tense. Do you see lettuce drawn here? That's present tense. Come on. And again, and again, and again. You say, how often? Go to the end of 16. As often as you need. To help the time of need. 
which means every time it's getting harder to follow Jesus and you're struggling, come on in and ask for help. And he'll see that you get mercy and find grace because this is a throne of grace. And the one who is on that throne, the God of the universe extends grace to you because you come through the priesthood of Jesus Christ as often as you want. Again and again and again and again because we have a high priest. And guys, when life gets hard, this is what you do. So I'm, I'm going to end with this because I want to help you. I want to help us. This is what I notice a lot. When life is good, we read our Bibles, we pray, and we go to church because we feel like it. And then life gets hard. And bad stuff happens. And it does happen. And it's difficult. And what do people do? I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. And well-meaning Christians say, oh, that's okay. We don't want to be like legalistic about this, you know. It's not like you have to legalistically read your Bible every day and legalistically pray and legalistically go to church. You have gone through a lot. Why don't you back off? I mean, it's not like you're in a time of need where you need mercy and grace from the throne of grace, right? Guys, when life gets hard, I need it more than ever. When life gets hard, I need more mercy. I need more grace. When life gets hard, I should be spending more time in prayer, more time reading my Bible. I should be hanging out more with God's people because I need more. And I'm welcome. And he says, come. And so we come, and we receive mercy, and we find grace to help in time of need because we have a great high priest. He went before us. He's able to help us. He cares about us. Where else are you going to go? Who else can do this for you? The answer is nowhere and no one. So, beloved, by God's grace, hold fast. And when it gets hard, draw near. And let's keep encouraging one another to do the same. To be reminded that Jesus is better. And by his grace, we're not going back. And I'm going to help you not go back. And you're going to help me not go back. And then we're going to keep following Jesus. And one day we're going to enter that rest and we're going to be praising God for all eternity. That's Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace confident that we are welcomed by 
not merely a priest and not merely a high priest, but a great high priest who is both God and man and man, Jesus, the Son of God. We thank you for the access we have through Jesus. Lord, there is no one else we could follow. There is nowhere else we could go. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would help us by your grace to hold fast our confession. And when we find it hard, difficult, challenging, that we would draw near to you through Jesus. Confidently expecting to receive mercy, expecting to receive grace as often as we need. Knowing that you'll be faithful to give it. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.